Tuesday as we launch another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Here we go. A couple of very pleasant days, but uh, of course, if you don't have air conditioning, it just probably kind of mounts up and you, you don't really appreciate it when it's when uh, when it's 95 until you do have a little and uh, the air conditioning problem and surprise has been solved. Is that correct, Susan? <laughs> It is. I actually went out and hugged the heat pump today. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, we love those inanimate objects uh, when they're missing. I'll tell you what, we sure do take advantage of them when they're, when they're around. Very much so, very much so. All right, well, let's uh, find out what's coming up here. This is the roundtable where we discuss what is coming up for you on today's Midday Information. And Susan, of course, gives all the marching orders out to our Ag Department. Well, we had a great opportunity. I caught up with Congressman Dr. Roger Marshall out of Kansas. and He will join us at 1219 to talk about the farm bill from the House side and, of course, trade as well. He said they are understanding the frustrations of farmers out in the countryside. Then today starts a series at 1245 with Clay Patton as we look at exports. And he'll have somebody from the Dawson-Lincoln County area, a farmer talking about the importance of export markets on the county level. Then into 117, there is a reports of bacterial leaf streak disease in corn across Nebraska. We'll get more details on that with Bryce. So there's some stuff for the midday from the Farm Department. Okay, plenty to listen to and good information. Thank you, Susan. Over to Jason Jorgensen we go in sports. Tour wraps up today for the Husker coaches as they are making stops around the state, uh, promoting the new coaching staff and Husker football. They were uh, two big guys, uh, two of the... Uh, I guess uh, say guys that people wanted to see were athletic director Bill Moose and head coach Scott Frost. They were in Gehring and Lyons yesterday. Look at the thoughts uh, from Moose on what kind of the plans the Huskers have as they look to rebuild this thing. Any writer's cramp reported from that tour yet? No, not yet. Okay. No, not yet. But I think this is a cool thing they do. They should probably do this more often, and maybe they will with uh, Bill Moose as AD. He has said they need to get out and uh, see more of the state, so we will see, but we will get his thoughts about that. Also, the stage is set for the College World Series. That begins on Saturday. Of course, you always wonder, you know, who will be the who will be the team that you know, local fans kind of wrap their arms around. Yeah. This, it might be Arkansas again with so. former Nebraska coach yeah. Dave Van Horn, you can always remember the golden years. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Lincoln and had that program uh, percolating at a high level. So uh, we'll touch on all of that. And uh, they're gearing up for their championship parade in the uh, Golden State era as uh, they have another championship to uh, celebrate out, out by the bay. I can imagine maybe the local chant will be, Why'd you leave? Why'd yeah. you leave? <laughs> or, or, Please come back. Something like that. Yeah, anyway. And Bob Brogan has a look at what's going on in the business world. Stocks are trading higher on Wall Street. Lots of uh, sparks are flying off of that uh, summit between President Donald Trump and the North Korean leader. So some of that, uh, some of those good feelings are coming off of that. Also, a Senate panel has approved nominations for two Fed board seats. And uh, an AT&T Time Warner ruling is expected soon. Also, consumer prices were uh, rising. So we're going to review those uh, in our report later. Okay, Bob, thanks very much. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Paul Perkins drops in with a look at our regional ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Get another kind of a reprieve from the really hot stuff, but it's not going to last. Is it? No, we do have some heat on the way for late in the week. Thursday through Saturday, plenty of it on the way, but yeah, for the time being, some actually seasonal temperatures. And I see that uh, chance of thunderstorms probably further way down in there, probably south of I-70, but how many of those could stray north? We uh, Probably just a slight chance of some thunderstorms as you head into Nebraska, but the better chance is definitely going to be over Kansas, especially northwest and north-central Kansas. They have a 50% chance. But, yeah, we could see some severe weather over southwest and south-central south Kansas today, but mainly well to the south of I-70, especially to the south of, a, oh, we'll say Great Bend to Syracuse line and points to the south in southwest and south-central Kansas. Otherwise, a pretty nice day across the area. Most of us with temperatures in the mid to upper 70s, still some low and mid-60s, though, as you head into northwest and north-central Nebraska, and including right now Ainsworth, they're still checking in with the temperature of 56. That's within the last hour. Uh, been on the cool side, we do have some low 80s, though, into southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas. Today going to be sunny, mainly seasonal on those temperatures, and some light north winds as an area of high pressure tracks east across the Dakotas. Those center storm chances do return for tonight, mainly, though, in Kansas. That's where yesterday's cold front starts to lift back to the north as the warm front, the main severe weather threat, going to be to the south of I-70 over the southwest and south central. Now, tomorrow's temperatures once again staying seasonal, but some southeast winds will increase as an area of low pressure strengthens to our west. The chance for more scattered thunderstorms will remain in the forecast all the way through tomorrow night. That will change for Thursday through Saturday. A big building high pressure ridge over the southern plains will result in hot and mostly dry weather once again on Thursday through Saturday. Now, there are chances for widespread thunderstorms starting to look pretty good for early next week with the slow-moving cold front. We also could see... The leftovers of a tropical depression start to move into northeast Colorado and eastern Wyoming by Sunday, and that could bring us some showers and thunderstorms also in our forecast. Now, in yesterday's long-term forecast, there was a prediction temperatures could cool in the later periods. That has changed back today to an outlook to warmer than normal temperatures for both Nebraska and Kansas, staying warmer than normal Sunday through the 25th of June. There is good news for rain, above normal rainfall in the forecast for both Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 25th. Weather factors affecting market trade include beneficial conditions for Midwest crops and minimal rain in the Southern Plains and Black Sea regions. Despite the prevalence of near or above normal temperatures, widespread rain will continue in many areas of the U.S. The next five days, some of those most significant rains should fall from the Midwest into the southeast U.S. The Plains also looking at the prospects of occasional rain. Late in the week, the remnants of eastern Pacific Hurricane Bud should arrive in the drought-stricken southwest. Hurricane Bud. Hurricane Bud? Uh, yeah. This Bud's for you? <laughs> exactly. It could actually be a buddy, though, for drought-stricken areas of the southwest. They need some badly need some moisture, and that remnants of tropical storm bud or hurricane bud as it does move on shore actually expected to move northeast and there are indications we could see the leftovers of that into northeast colorado and eastern wyoming and we could maybe get some rain off of that late in the weekend looks like about early on sunday morning is when it'll start to arrive into eastern colorado but yeah hurricane bud you're (laughs) 
It's going to be followed up here in a few hurricanes by Hurricane Heineken. Yeah, there we go. That's going to be true or not. Uh, We do want to remind you that your uh, regional ag weather is brought to you by Coleman Repair. And if we do have any uh, storm center coverage to present, we will, of course, bring you that information as well on your rural radio network stations. So for the next uh, couple of days, we're just starting to head into another heated up weekend. Huh? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Th- especially Thursday through Saturday, it'll start to tail off by the time we hit uh, Sunday for Father's Day and definitely looking cooler for um, by Monday. All right. When you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. trims ending stocks for corn and soybeans. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at Ag News. USDA trimmed both 2017-18 old crop and 2018-19 new crop corn and soybean ending stocks in its release of the June crop production and world agricultural supply and demand estimates this month. We get reaction and reasoning from Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. The numbers that USDA gave us today in the hard red wheat especially, a production number of 650 million bushels was actually above what they gave us last month. And I think with the quality tour and the yield reports right now, and especially having gotten through most of Texas and into deep into Oklahoma, uh, I think the trade's probably saying that number's going to probably change and go down. So we're probably trading the biggest number we're going to get from USDA. And I think couple that with the fact that USDA actually bumped up the 2018-2019 wheat exports by 25 million taking our carryover down below 950 million bushels, I think that was a real boost in the arm as well. And I think in a bigger picture mindset, we didn't see any reductions at all in 18-19 exports for corn, beans, or wheat. And I think this helps alleviate some of the concerns about these trade jitters and these trade war fears that we've been trading for a better part of the month. Find the full breakdown of the report by visiting ruralradio.com. And renewable fuels and ethanol have been the center of conversations for nearly a year. Nebraska and other Midwest states are urgently pushing for E15 fuel sales year-round. While E15 isn't happening tomorrow, ethanol distilleries are finding ways of making sure they don't have to cut production. Clay Patton has more. Exports are a key piece of the ethanol puzzle. Scott McFeeders, an ethanol plant board member, puts into perspective just how important exports are to Nebraska ethanol. Here in Nebraska, we produce about 1.5 billion gallons of ethanol, and we only use about 80 million gallons due to the fact that we use 800 million gallons of gas. So we export a vast majority of our ethanol. What do foreign companies look for when they are buying U.S. ethanol? Scott chimes in from when he met with Chinese trade negotiators on a trade mission. When we met with some of the leaders there and they we asked them about their their appetite it was interesting because they're negotiators above all and so the answer was basically we're very interested but we have enough but if you had a good enough price we would buy more while exports may create opportunities for middlemen they still help ensure that there are end users for producers raw commodities on the rural radio network I'm Clay Patton. And reports of bacterial leaf streak disease are popping up across the state of Nebraska. And we get an update with Tamara Jackson Zims, Nebraska Extension Plant Pathologist. We're getting several reports all across the state from various crop consultants that they're seeing bacterial leaf streak 
showing up again, and, and that's right on time for what we saw last year. Not unusual to see it in small corn like this. I also wanted to put out a reminder that since we've had some severe weather across much of the state in the past week or two, that Goss's bacterial wilt and blight might be something else that we'll start seeing any time now. And just because someone may not have seen that disease in the past year or two does not mean that they won't see it again. And uh, in, in fact, it surprised a few people last year that hadn't seen it in a few years. Zims encourages producers to be thorough when scouting their crops for diseases. That's a midday look at your ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The Farm Bill works continue in Washington, D.C. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Senate is set to discuss the Farm Bill in the Senate Ag Committee on Wednesday and the House sometime before June 22nd. Kansas Congressman Dr. Roger Marshall talked to me about these frustrations for producers. Well, Susan, I certainly have empathy know exactly what you're saying and what your producers are saying. It has been a roller coaster ride. There's no other way to say it than just that. Whether it's uh, you want to talk about trade and tariffs or you want to talk about a farm bill, but I think uh, the farm bill is going to get done on time. It should be done hopefully here in June. And I think our producers are going to really like it. Unfortunately, there have some, been some ups and downs, but goodness, the Senate will be reviewing it in committee this week and probably voting on it next week. And I expect the House to be voting on it uh, here by the end of the month. And, and there may be a, another month of conferencing. So goodness, maybe by September, the president's even signed the farm bill. So we're closer than it seems. Immigration has been one of the biggest hurdles on the House side. Does it continue to be an area of contention? Yeah, absolutely, it, it, it is. It's just it's concerning in the standpoint that there's still some disagreement, but I think people are making it way too complicated. I see a path to victory. And not to get too much into the politics and the weeds of this things, but we need to vote on immigration before we're going to be able to pass the farm bill. It's just that simple. But I'm happy to do it because immigration impacts agriculture as well. And I think so I'm working very hard to get an agriculture guest worker visa included in this fix. So I think there's an opportunity. I know the president wants to fix immigration, and I know I want to see a long-term fix as well. You did receive a phone call uh, from the president over the weekend, and he, he did make the comment that he says he's going to bring it home finally for farmers. Yeah, absolutely. I was excited. I had just did an interview on Fox News, and the president had just left the G7, was on his way on North Korea, and I got a phone call saying, this is Air Force One. The president wants to talk to you. Are you free? And I said, well, <laughs> I said, well, I guess so. I'll make myself free. And, you know, among other things, I just can't tell you how much the president, his genuineness of heart, that he told me to please tell the agriculture producers he understands where they are, that he loves them, and he's trying to get them a better deal. He specifically, he said, he understands the farmers have gotten the short end of the stick for over 20 years, and he wants to give us long-term solutions, but be patient with him. Uh, he wants a good deal as well. Uh, so what I, you know, I pressed him. I said, please, Mr. President, give us Mexico then. I had just spoken to the Mexico ambassador earlier this week, and I know Mexico is ready to finish this deal. Canada is dragging their feet, to be honest. Canada is happy just with the way it is. So they are dragging their feet. But I think if we could get Mexico done, we'll see 
uh, Canada, the European Union, Japan come along shortly thereafter. So hang in there with us. Now, some feel in agriculture that they're like the pawn, shall we say, when it comes to all these trade discussions. Yeah, and I don't know that it's, I, I don't think that the president wants to use us as a pawn. I think it's the other way around and that other countries always use agriculture as the tip of the spear when it comes to retaliation. Agriculture, for whatever reason, is just the easiest to pick on. So whenever the president pushes them on the t- on tariffs against our other products and they come back and say, great, then we'll put tariffs on agriculture products. So these other countries, Canada and China specifically, are ha- have high tariffs on American goods and they're stealing our intellectual property. So we need, uh, we need good trade partners as well. So I certainly understand, uh, and it's unfortunate, and that's why we need to get Mexico done to quit using us as a pawn. Kansas Congressman Dr. Roger Marshall. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and Sports Time with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, NU's football tour across the state will wrap up today with coaches making numerous stops to meet the fans. Head coach Scott Frost and athletic director Bill Moose were in the panhandle yesterday, and Moose says they have a plan in place for getting the Huskers back to the top. We're going to rebuild this the proper way. We've got the right guy on a pick of the litter out of coaches uh, that were, that that we wanted and I know that I wanted but it's important and and we've discussed it we've always been on the same page that stability in the program like it was enjoyed uh, for the three decades um, that were golden we need to get back to that and so there won't be any quick fixes another Husker news the Nebraska women's basketball team will square off against women's final four participant and ACC regular season and tournament champion Louisville in the ACC Big Ten Challenge of course, the Huskers advanced to the NCAA tournament a year ago after finishing third in the Big Ten. They will travel to Louisville to collide with the Cardinals on Thursday, November 29th. The College World Series field has been set. On Saturday, North Carolina takes on Oregon State at 2, followed by newcomer Washington battling Mississippi State at 7. On Sunday, Arkansas, led by former Nebraska head coach Dave Van Horn. They'll take on Texas at 1, and Florida battles Texas Tech at 6. The defending national champion Gators, they're in the CWS for the fourth consecutive year. For the second straight year, fans in Oakland will get to celebrate the Golden State Warriors with a parade for a team that some are calling a basketball dynasty. Officials say as many as one million fans are expected to line downtown Oakland streets after the Warriors' third NBA title in four years. The NBA champions have gone back-to-back, beating the Cavaliers last Friday night to finish off a sweep of the NBA Finals in the fourth consecutive matchup between those two clubs. And the Cubs have worked their way back to the top of the NL Central with a 7-2 11-inning victory over the Brewers. Meanwhile, Eddie Vedder's support remains strong. Pearl Jam frontman's new 7-inch vinyl single will be given out to those who buy tickets to the Cubs-Reds game on July 6th at Wrigley Field. Pressed on blue and red vinyl, the record features Vetter's 2007 Cubs song, All the Way. And on the flip side, it features fan Steve Goodman's 1984 tribute, Go Cubs Go. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Clear skies tonight, lows upper 50s in the west to the low 60s in the east and central. I'm Dave Schroeder. A woman who worked 33 years for Custer County is accused of stealing more than $1,500 worth of property from the sheriff's office. Custer County District Court records say 58-year-old Kelly Estergaard of Callaway is charged with felony theft and tampering with evidence. Authorities say the theft occurred between 2015 and January 30th this year. The records say the evidence was tampered with on January 30th. Estegard is scheduled to be arraigned June 21st. Thunderstorms have blasted through eastern Nebraska and into Iowa, toppled trees, knocked out power, and spawned short-lived tornadoes. The National Weather Service says several drivers were injured Monday when straight-line winds topping 80 miles per hour knocked over nine semis on Interstate 29 in western Iowa. Authorities say several homes were damaged in the Lake Wakanda community in Cass County, Nebraska. Brief tornado touchdowns were reported near Cedar Creek and Louisville in Nebraska. An Omaha planning committee is moving forward with a $290 million proposal to revitalize the city's downtown riverfront. The master plan includes spacious lawns, a walking promenade stretching to the Missouri River, an ice skating rink, a water plaza, and a dog park. It calls for raising most of Omaha's Jean Leahy Mall to create an open, continuous park leading to the river. Colorado San Juan National Forest has been closed to the public to try to prevent another catastrophic wildfire in the extremely dry U.S. Southwest. The closure affects over 2,800 square miles of forest, hundreds of miles of forest trails, and thousands of miles of back roads are off limits to hikers, bikers, horseback riders, and campers. Some forest land in Arizona and New Mexico has also been closed because of the fire danger. It's the first full closure of a Colorado national forest since the year 2002. President Donald Trump has rocked the region with the stunning announcement that he's halting annual U.S.-South Korean military drills and wants to remove the 28,000 U.S. troops stationed in the South as a deterrent against North Korean attack. Trump has now essentially adopted the standard North Korean line, calling the exercises a provocative waste of money and announcing that they would stop while he continues talks with the North. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. June is International Trade Month, and agriculture is now connected to a global economy, which means U.S. producers rely heavily on folks across the globe buying their ag products. And the same can be said whether you look on a national scale, a state scale, or even the county scale. So coming up this Thursday is the International Trade Town Hall in Lexington, hosted at the Holiday Inn Express, and it's hosted by the Council for Economic Development. So here at the Rural Radio Network, we want to talk more at the county level and how important rural economics and global trade is at the county level. So today we start here with the grains and we're talking with Scott McFeeders, a Dawson County grain farmer. Scott, thank you for joining us. What grain products are exported from Dawson County? Well, pretty much all we grow, of course, uh, soybeans and corn and then some of the, the products that are processed further, soybean meal and dried distiller's grains from the ethanol process, but it starts out as corn. So obviously kind of a broad expanse of everything we do there. And let's talk about ethanol for a minute. You sit on a local ethanol board as well. How important are exports to our local ethanol plants? 
They're one of the key factors that's kind of helped buoy the price and stabilize things. Exports have been re- robust, and it helps offset some of the things that EPA seems to be doing to impede higher uses of, of ethanol, even E15 gasoline. Of course, it could be that our gallons specifically don't go from, you know, like the plant in Lexington clear to China or Japan, but those gallons move to where they need to, and the most efficient or freight logic gallons move uh, overseas. So even though it might not be a direct export from Dawson County, still goes and uh, fits in where it needs to. Scott, before the interview, we were talking about ethanol and just the gallons in terms of where they're shipped around the world. If you kind of break it down and look at the gallons that just the state of Nebraska uses versus what goes outside of our state, then the number is quite astounding. Well, that's right. Here in Nebraska, we produce about 1.5 billion gallons of ethanol, and we only use about 80 million gallons due to the fact that we use 800 million gallons of gas. So uh, we export a vast majority of our ethanol, and some of it goes as far as uh, China and Japan. Scott, you also are sitting on currently on the Nebraska Ethanol Board for the entire state. So during your time on the board, have you had an opportunity to talk with uh, foreign counterparts that uh, have used ethanol, U.S. ethanol, before? Well, I have. Uh, I actually went with uh, Governor Ricketts on the uh, trade mission to China in the fall of 2016. So it's been a little bit now, but uh, when we met with some of the leaders there, and they we asked them about their their appetite. Um, it was interesting because they're negotiators uh, above all, and so the answer was basically we're very interested, but we have enough. But if you had a good enough price, we would buy more. And so it was kind of mixed messages, and it was kind of entertaining almost. But I have seen uh, those things where you meet with foreign dignitaries and buyers, and they are very interested in what we have. And your time with talking with these dignitaries, have they commented on, is it the quality of the product they like, or do they solely focus on the price aspects of it? It's a fairly defined set of parameters for the actual fuel ethanol. So it's it's a commodity that they are comfortable with. So there's a lot that rides on price, but they also know that there's things that you can't put a price on, uh, human health, uh, and or if you put a price on it, it's a very high price, human health and lung, uh, lung health uh, due to the air pollution problems that they suffer, especially in the cities in, say, for instance, Beijing. We focus a lot on ethanol, but let's kind of take a step back here and just look at the trade as a whole. And as a grain producer, you're closely watching the markets, looking for the opportune time to market it, even if you don't know whether the bushel of corn you sell will be used domestically or internationally. But there's a lot of uh, international trade tensions going on with uh, the renegotiation of trade deals and a broad spectrum there. So from your standpoint, if some of this export business were to shrink, what do you see the impact on Dawson County grains as being? The trade tensions that we are experiencing are um, could be potentially devastating to Nebraska. We are in the top five exporters of ag products in the nation, and those include, of course, soybeans, beef and veal, animal feed, corn, soybean meal. Those are all things that, even if they don't come directly from Dawson County, ours may go to another place in the United States, and those may go on overseas. But we are are definitely uh, impacted 
by the the tensions that are incurring now could get a lot worse. So we're gradually optimistic that we can come out, get this all figured out so we don't have an unfortunate trade war even. Scott, as we finish our interview here, as a business person, do you see more opportunity for export-type businesses to expand in Dawson County? Absolutely. Not only the grain business, but also the the protein business. It's kind of something that is uh, a a catchphrase, maybe, or a term that has come about lately, and it's uh, people are interested in protein projects and adding value here, either by feeding the grain or further refining it. Not only would be would we be looking at uh, increased grain exports, direct grain, but also the other things that we can make here in Dawson County. That again, Scott McFeeders, a Lincoln and Dawson County grain farmer, talking to us about the importance of exports even at the county level. Again, this is all ahead of the International Trade Town Hall this Thursday in Lexington, hosted by the Council for Economic Development. Keep listening to find out how exports are important to other sectors of Nebraska agriculture right here on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network and get a response here from Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities about the livestock futures. Joe? Yeah, interesting day in the uh, cattle. It was a very choppy day, and uh, we overall are going to finish mixed. Uh, and depending upon uh, whether they were the live cattle or the feeder cattle, mixed to higher on the live cattle and just plain lower on the uh, feeders. Uh, very choppy trade in the, uh, in the live cattle. We uh, started out a little bit better and then uh, dropped off and then came back. Uh, cutouts at noon uh, kind of helped there as they were, uh, let's call it basically steady. They were only eight cents higher in the choice, so it was not uh, a robust day there either. And uh, uh, we did manage to come back, I think, on some short coverage, uh, basically. Uh, and the idea that we're still uh, discount didn't hear of any uh, big trade out in the country whatsoever, so uh, that didn't uh, uh, have really much of an influence on the market. The feeders were under some pressure because of the uh, grains uh, positive uh, report, where corn is uh, up over ten cents, and uh, that that uh, kept them from uh, uh, really uh, coming back. Uh, all the way, they did come back off their lows, but still finished lower in the day. In the hogs, it was just plain a strong day, starting with the cash being higher. The cutouts were uh, slightly lower at noon, but uh, overall, it, it's still being led by the cash. We only have two days left in the June contract. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. This is the Rural Radio Network. Conditions are right for the development of corn diseases. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Tamara Jackson-Zims is a Nebraska Extension plant pathologist, and she joins us now on the phone. Tamara, as producers are scouting their cornfields, they might be seeing some diseases pop up in those fields. Let's first talk about what you're seeing across the state. There's a few things starting to show up, and we want to make sure that people are aware of them and know what's going on and that conditions are favorable so that they can get the identification correct. In Tamara, what are some of those diseases that are popping up in the fields? We're getting several reports all across the state from various crop consultants that they're seeing bacterial leaf streak showing up again, and and that's right on time for what we saw last year. Not unusual to see it in small corn like this. I also wanted to put out a reminder that 
since we've had some severe weather across much of the state in the past week or two, that Goss's bacterial wilt and blight might be something else that we'll start seeing any time now. And just because someone may not have seen that disease in the past year or two does not mean that they won't see it again. And uh, in, in fact, it surprised a few people last year that hadn't seen it in a few years for it to show back up again after a hailstorm. Well, let's talk specifically about that bacterial leaf streak you mentioned is showing up in a few counties across the state. If somebody's going out to the field, what can they look for to see if that is present in their fields? Well, bacterial leaf streak causes streaks on the veins or between the veins of the lower leaves usually starting out. And so, unfortunately, it can look a lot like gray leaf spot, the very common fungal disease that we usually see later on in maybe July or August here in Nebraska. And so uh, you have to look really close and having a little experience doesn't hurt either. The symptoms look very similar, but there are little subtle ways you can tell them apart if you look very closely. And so what I would recommend is to look for those narrow streaks between the veins, but if it was gray leaf spot, the fungal disease, it makes almost a perfect rectangle with very smooth linear margins. Well, in contrast, the bacterial leaf streak, being typical for bacterial diseases, is more irregular in shape, and the edges of those margins are often more jagged or wavy. Tamara, if people are seeing this pop up in their fields, what can they do about it? Is there a management practice they can implement? Unfortunately, we have not seen consistent enough benefits with the use of bactericides to recommend them during the season. So my short answer is is no right now. Foliar fungicides do not control bacterial pathogens, and so we're not recommending fungicides either um, unless you were already planning to use them for, for another problem. And so the key here is knowing which disease you're looking at. And so if people see something this time of year that looks a lot like gray leaf spot, I would, uh, I'd hold up, take a closer look, send a sample in to us at the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic, and, and let us throw that under the microscope, do a little testing on it, and make sure that it's bacterial before they make a fungicide decision. That is a great tool for producers, so let's reiterate the Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. If you'd like more information about this topic or the clinic, you can log on to cropwatch.unl.edu. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskit on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we saw some big gains today in corn and winter wheat futures as we talk about this with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. It's all about the report today, wasn't it? It was, and, uh, you know, bullish action on the wheat. I didn't really think the report warranted probably such an uptick. I understand that the Russian crop being downgraded is what drives it, but, you know, still going to be at the third or fourth largest crop in the U.S. Uh, in our history relative to yield um, and, and really good out east. So uh, it's really fantastic price action if you're if you're along Chicago given that supplies are high and we're seeing a 20 cent uptick. So that, that leads us higher here, uh, corn next, then soybeans. Now the uh, red flag might be as far as the uh, global demand for soybeans 
as well as corn wheat feeding by roughly 5.5 million metric tons was lowered. So maybe we need to watch this going forward. I think so. I mean, for me, and this is the way I kind of described it to, to somebody who might be a, a layman, it's kind of like when I used to be in college and I'd work like summer jobs. And I would come back and I'd feel all flush from the, with the summer of not spending any money and working real hard. And then I'd spend a lot of money those first two, two, two to three months when I'd be back in school and not really thinking about the longer-term picture of, that I needed to save that money till June to make it to the next work period. That's kind of the way this corn market is set up right now. Beans a little bit, too. We have a big supply up front, meaning we have a big savings account, essentially, that we can lean on in the short term. But over the long run, especially globally in corn, you're, you're taking global carryout numbers from 232 years ago. They're going to be 150 at the end of next year. That's a huge drop in supply. Somebody's going to have to replenish that, and really nobody is set up right now to do that except for the U.S. And if you look out in the curve, deferred prices aren't really going to incentivize, in my opinion, the kind of production that's needed to make that up. So short term, I think the market may have a hard time getting back to those highs in the immediate term without a weather problem. Um, but over the long run, I think this is a board you want to hold. I think if you're growing corn this year and you can afford to store it, pack it away, because I think this market is really going to run come second half of the year, possibly into early next year, depending on how the South American crop goes. Corn demand base is building in China, so now the USDA has to account for that current size of their reserve, right? Absolutely, and from what we're hearing, they're having weather problems there. Uh, and again, the same on the soybeans. A good big, big surplus up front, small surplus down the road that got negated today. I don't like the fact that beans are down on, on a kind of a bullish number like that, so I do think there's probably a little more to go, but I would not be getting embarrassed down here. I think corn, you know, 410, 412 is the area I'd be maybe looking to make some sales. We'll talk more tomorrow. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.